Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Hey everybody, Justin Hughes here. Hope you're all doing well. We're less than a week away from the season. It's a real exciting time. With me tonight is Andrew McQuiston. Andrew, how you doing? Doing good. Andrew, I know you're really into college basketball in this time of year, so I thought I'd start off asking how your bracket's going so far. Uh, pretty good for the most part. We're at the last few games of the first round here, and I've got my entire Sweet 16 still intact. So I was saying to my mom earlier, I was telling her, I was like, I, I don't think I've ever had my entire Sweet 16 still intact after round one. It's looking like That's I got a, got a pretty good shot. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, I haven't done a bracket the last couple of years, but on that same note, I don't remember ever. Yeah, that's incredible having that all your Sweet 16 still alive in the first, pretty much through one round. Wow. Yeah, I've never done good in these in the pools. I always get in one. I'm I've never do good in them. Last year I did really good, and this year I mean it's obviously to be determined. But um, off to a pretty good start. So I posted a poll up on the Baseball 365 group this afternoon, and I said. This is a baseball group. Obviously, we love baseball. That said, what are you putting more time and energy into at the moment? And I put the options as MLB spring spring training and fantasy drafts and March Madness. And the way the poll went is the exact opposite of what I expected it to be, even in a fantasy baseball group. But I think I see something like 83 votes for MLB and only 14 for March Madness. I literally thought that would be the reverse right now. I wasn't really uh, too surprised just because it's a baseball group. You know, I'm sure that a lot of the people in that group don't even like college basketball at all. It's just kind of like one of those random things that the common thing that brings us together is the baseball. So I kind of understand it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure if I took that poll amongst sports fans in general, that's where it probably de- it would definitely be the opposite. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just even though it's a baseball group, and I I still un- underestimated how few people I guess care about March Madness compared to baseball. I March Madness is a really cool thing. I'm sitting here saying I haven't watched it much the last few years, but it's neat. It's more that I have a kid now. And I really just only have so much time to put into different things. And uh, like a lot of extra things outside of baseball have just started going to the wayside. So I I don't know. I was still surprised with those results. Yeah. Like you said, if it wasn't like, if it wasn't a baseball group, I bet it would have been more skewed, but it's a baseball group. So I, I totally get it. Yeah. If you just talked about sports fans in general, I bet NFL free agency would get more votes than MLB. Yeah. Even though we're a good five, six months away from football. But anyway, we're into the weekend. and We've now had two Major League Baseball games, Andrew. I know you got up for both of them, and so did I for those Japan games. How'd you enjoy them so far? Uh, it was good. I mean, it felt a little crazy waking up that early for single game, you know. It's like, gosh, because... I just don't get up like that that early. It's just so crazy. But I woke up both games, watched them. Towards the end of the second game, I was kind of fading in and out of sleep. But I was pretty much up for both of them. Yeah, they were good. I mean, the 
the second game was great, just the Ichiro stuff, and I wanted him to homer so bad. <laughs> oh, man, it would have been great. But, yeah, it was good overall. What would you think of uh, Kikuchi? I thought he looked pretty good. The thing that, with that weird delivery, the thing I really noticed is it seemed like everybody was struggling to pick up that fastball out of his hand with his other off-speed pitches. And I'm just assuming there's some deception going on here because it seemed every time the fastball was thrown, they were late on it, either hitting it to right field or fouling it off to right field. You know, I hear a lot of people who say that they think that his first go around through the league should be real good. Maybe after that, he'll have some struggles. And I think I've been in agreement with that. And I feel even more confident in that after watching him this first go around, if he can even stay healthy, I should say. Yeah, I thought he looked pretty good overall. It's kind of a cool moment when he hugged Ichiro when Ichiro came off the field. That may yeah. be the most moving moment of this entire season. And for those of you who weren't watching, Ichiro, when he came out of the game in the ninth inning, everybody gave him a hug as he came off the field. Through the stands, you could see a lot of eyes that looked like they had been crying. But then Kikuchi hugged him. You could tell he was really broken up in that moment. It was incredibly emotional. It was really neat. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a cool moment. And for those keeping score... The Mariners are on pace to go 162 and 0, so they've got that going for them. <laughs> yeah, they they played a good couple games. That stadium, man, it was like it felt like every ball that was hit in the air with any authority whatsoever went out. I felt like it was Coors Field or something. You know, it was just crazy. Like the balls were just flying out of there. There was what five home runs in the first game and. Not as many in the second, but definitely seemed like a hitter's park for sure. The balls were flying. All right, so on this episode tonight, we're going to be talking about some news. There's been a lot of news over the last couple days, enough that I felt like I needed to move it into this podcast. And then after that, Andrew and I are going to talk about our dynasty startups. We've both talked a lot over the course of these first 13 episodes about our startup dynasties that we've had going on, and they're both done. We thought we'd both interview the other one about their dynasty, which we both kind of had similar strategies, and we'll talk about that later. Okay, Andrew, so we'll get started off on the news here, and everybody who's about to be a free agent is signing an extension this week. No kidding. It was like one after the other. The big one was first, and then the rest followed. It just seemed like a lot. Which is funny, because usually you hear that in free agency. The big guy signs, and then all the other dominoes fall. And in this instance, it did seem like Mike Trout, after the big Mike Trout extension, everybody else is like, I want to be like Mike Trout. Give me one of those extensions, which wasn't quite like Trout's. We'll just move into his. So Mike Trout has signed a contract extension that's going to make him an angel for life. The 27-year-old had two years remaining on his deal, and 10 years have been tacked onto it. Trout's going to make $363 million on that contract after the two remaining years. My first thought when I heard this news was, so much for Philly having hopes of owning Trout and Harper on the same outfield. But also on that same note, I can't imagine how good this feels for the Angels fans, front office, Mike Trout himself, because he's going to be an angel for life with these, with this signing. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's good for baseball, man. It's just it's cool to see the best player of this generation pretty much locked up with one team for life. I love it. I think it's awesome. Glad for the Angels fans. Glad for baseball. It's just just a good day when that happened. It was it was cool to see. I almost always love seeing a guy who comes up through his organization signing a long-term deal. Yeah, I I thought it was funny somebody made a comment. I can't remember where I read it or what it was, but somebody made a comment about how Manny and Harper, it was like this big show and all this stuff going on, you know, where are they going to sign and they're meeting with teams and blah, 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 just kept going on and on about it. And then it's like Mike Trout signs a 12-year deal on a Tuesday morning. Like no one heard a thing about it. And it's just it's just like it's so Mike Trout, you know, like that's what he does. He does it. There's no show. It's just that's how he goes about his business. And he's great. And I just thought it was kind of funny. It's like, yeah, wakes up, on a, tu- was... wakes up on a Tuesday morning and signs a deal life for life. <laughs> Nobody in baseball was reporting that they were even talking. I'm sitting there Tuesday. I took the day off and was at uh, Bass Pro Shops in Springfield going through a Wonders of Wildlife, which is a really cool aquarium that they have there, walking through it, and all of a sudden my phone just starts blowing up. Nobody saw it coming. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to work through a few of the, the rest of these extensions a little quicker. Andrew, chime in if you got something you want to add on any of these guys, but there's just so many of them. We could be here for a full podcast talking about all these if we wanted to. Alex Bregman signed a five-year, $100 million extension with the Astros. This gives the Astros two years of extra control on top of the years they already had him for, but it also guarantees Bregman and his family is set for life. Next up, Eloy Jimenez signed an extension with the White Sox. It's for six years and $43 million with two club options at the end that could total the deal at around $77 million. It's the largest contract ever given to an MLB player before they have appeared in a single MLB game. But even then, this feels like it's a deal I'd definitely give Eloy if I'm the owner of the White Sox. Andrew, do you feel this as more of a player or team-friendly deal or just good for both sides? I think it's good for both sides. Have they said yet? I didn't look, but is he going to be up on opening day now? They've not announced it. It seems like it makes, makes sense, but... Yeah, I mentioned this in our Roto Masters 2 Facebook chat group to where I was playing the devil's advocate here because it does make sense that he would be up opening day. But with how much owners are worried about being sued by the MLB Players Association for keeping players down, they did say that they were going to send him down to work on his bunting, of all things. And if they were to bring him up after he signed that deal, is that a strike against them that could be used against them in court over the next guy? I I don't know. I hope he's up because grand scheme of things, it'd be neat to see him up on opening day wearing that Jersey for the first time for the white Sox. Yeah. I get tired of all that. It's like he signed, just get him up. Like he's, Gosh, you could make the argument he's their best hitter the day he shows up, or he's right there, you know, he's close. He should be up. Yep, agreed. 
Next up, Blake Snell signed a five-year, $50 million contract extension with Tampa. This covers all three of his RB years that were remaining and two years of free agency. Snell now has a lifetime security, but man, he won't hit free agency until he's 31 years old. That part could be a little hard for him when he reaches it, unless he's pitching at an absolute ace level still. Teams seem like they're more skeptical on giving older players those type of deals now, too. I more so than they used to be anyway, so I don't know. Yeah, if he's still pitching at an elite level, maybe he can get himself a three- to five-year contract and it be something like possibly 25 to $30 million per. So who knows? He still may be able to make an extra 100 to $150 million if he's pitching at that level. But grand scheme of things, he has $50 million that he's guaranteed now, and good for him. Yep. This one just broke right before we started recording. Chris Sale signed a six-year, $160 million contract extension with the Red Sox. He does have an opt-out after 2022, but I have a feeling he won't be opting out around then. That guy's got a lot of miles on his arm already and a throwing motion that usually isn't good for long-term health. That said, people have been saying that for years, and he continues defining the odds. So who knows? Maybe that guy's going to be pitching in 2035 and still dealing while all these other guys <laughs> keep breaking yeah. down. He's crazy. The only, the only thing I will whatever you think of the deal, it's like he's pretty much the best pitcher in the league or very close to it. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to argue with for the next few years, at least the back end could always be ugly. Yeah. And let's hope it isn't because baseball's better when their stars are pitching. Well, it's sad. Like for, Seattle seeing Felix Hernandez going out there and throwing like he is now. It's just sad. And I, I hope that doesn't happen there here because it's just not fun seeing aces break down and all of a sudden not be useful. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be all right. Another extension that was late breaking was Verlander. It sounds like he's close to signing a two-year $66 million extension. I like this one too in terms of Another guy who's getting up there in years, but that's a good amount of money for a guy, even if it's only two years. Finally, Brandon Lau, and it is pronounced Lau and not Low. He signed a six-year, $24 million extension with club options for 2025 and 2026 with Tampa. But these options, it would make it eight years and $49 million. We've mentioned like and Lau before, and I'm hearing that you may actually have a starting gig as a DH or maybe second baseman, which seemed uncertain going into the season. So good for him. Yep, good for him. I'm curious to see how they use him, but I guess we'll know soon here. They show him at second base on roster resource, but the mention of the DH thing, I don't – it's kind of strange, but they'll probably move him around. Yeah, he's so flexible. And really, that they have a couple flexible guys like that to where they could all end up moving around all year. All right, in non-contract-related news, Matt Olson left the second game in Japan with pain in his right hand. He heard it fouling a pitch off and was struggling to grip a bat. And immediately after that news, people were saying, uh-oh, this sounds like a hamate bone injury. And sure enough, that's what it was. He had surgery on Friday to remove the bone, which is what people were fearing. Hamates usually take four to six weeks to heal. That's this is just depressing for his owners. Yeah, it's rough. God, it's like 
you can't even get the season started without a guy like that. I mean, it's a good starting first baseman, you know, already out. It sucks. I, I've got him on one team. Luckily, I've got some first base depth on that team to redraft league. But, uh, yeah, I'm not happy about it, obviously. I mean, it's just pretty brutal trying to replace him. But It's been a rough week for Oakland. They're 0-2. They lost Olsen. And in more depressing news, 10 snap strikes again. A's lefty Jesus Lazardo, who's one of the highest-ranked prospect pitchers in baseball, has been shut down for four to six weeks with a muscle strain in his left shoulder. We've said it before on this podcast, shoulder injuries are more concerning than elbows. This is not good. Not good at all. I was starting to feel like with Lazardo that people were just almost forgetting he was a pitcher, that the amount of hype that's been around him and how much Whenever you have guys like that, it's just you got to be careful because it's like they all carry that risk. You know, it doesn't matter how good they are. Just I feel like it's inevitable. It's going to happen to almost all of them at some point. It sucks. It really does suck, but I wish him the best. He's an awesome pitcher, and I'm sure he'll eventually be fine. But it's just another reminder, these pitching prospects. I mean, I don't know how many times I got to say it. You know, it's like. It's just constant. It's all the time. It's just sad. Oakland really needs that guy, too, because they're throwing out some rough, right-handed, soft-tossing starters out there. I mean, yeah. Mike Fires was out there game one, and Marco Estrada game two. I was sitting there thinking about it, watching Ichiro at the plate, who, you know, has lost some bat speed in that bat, and thinking, that's probably a perfect scenario for this guy for his final two games, getting those two starters. But anyway, they need Lizardo. They really could use him, and hopefully he's back healthy in this, a month or two here. Yeah, when I when I was saying that about the uh, Tokyo Dome seeming like a hitter's park, maybe maybe that's why it seemed that way when you got <laughs> Mike Fires and Marco Estrada pitching. Fair point, because once Kikuchi got out there, they weren't flying out. Yeah. All right, next up, Corey Kniebel with the Brewers. He's taken a break from throwing with an elbow issue. This may also explain why, in related news, the Brewers have recently been talking to Craig Kimbrell's agent about the free agent reliever. This could be horrible news for owners who drafted Kimbrell this offseason. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. I mean, God, I, I would just love for some for Hater to be the closer. Oh, my gosh, it's just... It would just be so crazy. But we kind of mentioned it the other night on the podcast on the relievers. But I feel like if they said Hader was the de facto closer, his value just shoots up. I mean, it goes right to the top pretty much. But I have no I, – I don't believe that he will be. Even if – let's say they said Knebel was out for the season and they didn't sign Kimbrell, which is the perfect recipe for Hader being the closer. I, I'm not wishing that on Knievel. I'm just saying like what it would take for Hader to be the closer. I still don't think he would be full-time. I really don't. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I think they would try and do Jeffress, or they would make some type of effort to mix and match. I'm sure Hader would get saves. I mean... He got some last year, but I think that they would do what they could to deploy him like when they want to 
as opposed to just in the ninth all the time. It would definitely be interesting to see. When Knable was out for a little while last year, it seemed like Hader held that job for a little while, but they also knew that was temporary. If this is a elbow injury, because they're saying he's been pitching with a tear in that elbow for a while now, but the question is how much more damage has been done here. And if he's out the entire year, I honestly think it's more likely than not that Craig Kimball's on that roster in the next two weeks, if that's the case, but we'll see. Next up, Alex Reyes will has been announced that he's going to open the season in the bullpen. I'm personally not surprised here. I'll just add that I don't think that he'll be the closer unless Jordan Hicks struggles badly. I think he'll be in the pen for the first half or maybe the full season before eventually going into the rotation, but I guess we'll see. Andrew, where are you at on Reyes this year? It's, I have no idea, like as far as what his role is going to be. I feel like I've been saying that. I, I could see a scenario where he goes into the bullpen and he's so good there that they leave him there. That's what's happened with Hader, basically. Like the whole talk about Hader in the past of being possibly being a starter and when is he going to be, they're not going to mess with Hader now, you know? And I could see that happening with Reyes, too. I I don't know. I could see him closing. I could see him being their Josh Hader. I wouldn't shut down all, all hope of him starting, either. I mean, there's that, too. But I just don't really know. I don't, I don't feel like anyone knows. The, the one thing I, w- I will say with Reyes, though, is I, I feel like he's so good when healthy, obviously, if he's out there and he's healthy and he's pitching in the bullpen and he's really good, I don't really think they're going to mess with it. At least not this year. I mean, they could, but I could easily see a situation where they don't. And he's just in the bullpen all season. Easily. Yeah, I could definitely see it. But I still think it's more likely than not he's starting games there by midseason late in the year. I just... I think he's too good to, to not use there. But I will add that they did this with Trevor Rosenthal actually about five years ago. Whenever they had Carlos Martinez and a bunch of starting pitchers coming up, and they really didn't have anywhere to put Rosenthal. He started pitching in the pen, and they just kept him there because he was that good. Yeah. But I don't think the Cardinals rotation right now is like near the level that that rotation was there in 2014 with Rosenthal. And I think if it was like it is now. I think Rosenthal would have stayed a starter, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, I could see it going either way. I think their rotation's pretty darn good, and you know, like just what I was saying with Hater, and I'm only I'm only comping it with Hater because it's it is kind of the spot Hater was in like a year or two ago. Not with the injuries, but just as far as it's a talented player coming out of the pen and. You know, like I said, haters just gotten so dominant in the role. I don't know. I feel like that they're if if they have issues with their rotation, I could see it. But I think the Cardinals' rotation is pretty good. It's it is a solid rotation. I'm excited about the Cardinals this year. I'll talk more about that when we get to team previews. But I still think there's room for him at the back of that rotation, unless Carlos Martinez comes back and he's healthy and Wainwright's back and he's pitching really well, but. That's a yeah. lot of ifs. I just think yeah. he's going to be in there by mid-year. 
Yeah, there's definitely room for him. I mean, he's arguably their most talented pitcher. It's just it's just going to come down to how they want to deploy him and probably where their needs are too. You know, like if they don't need a starter, I don't see them forcing him into the rotation. But if they have a guy or two go down and that's their weakness and their bullpen's strong, you know, maybe they do. And it is possible they could have a really strong bullpen, too, with Jordan Hicks, Andrew Miller, and maybe Carlos Martinez is the one pitching in that pin to where they don't even need Reyes there. I could see it going either way in terms of them not needing him at one or the other. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Next up, Brewers manager Craig Council announced his rotation to start the year, and it seems like Milwaukee's going with the young kids with upside. Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta are all in the rotation, and Chase Anderson is out. All of these young pitchers are interesting. I think, personally, Corbin Burns is the one I'm most excited about, as I have shares and hear other people smarter than me saying that he has some really nice upside. Andrew, of those three, are there is there one of them that does interest you? Uh, not specifically, no. I. I mentioned before I kind of liked Peralta, but it was just at the dirt cheap price. I I, I could get behind any of them just because they're all like similarly priced, I guess. I'm sure one one of them will probably be good. One of them will probably not be good. You know, it's just kind of how and it usually plays out. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as which one's which, I, I'm not really sure. I think they're all close. Yeah. Burns, Burns probably has the most upside. I hear a lot of people say that he has three, four pitches that are all 60 grade or better. And that's what's really caught my attention. I think even I heard that he had two or three 70 pitches. So, I don't know. I got him as a throw-in in a deal that I made last year. So, I've been following him. He struggled last year in AAA, if you look at his AAA numbers when he was starting. But that's in Colorado Springs in the PCL, which is one of the most – hitter-friendly parks in the minor leagues. So I even threw that out, really. And when he was pitching in the pen last year, he was really solid. He pitched really well for them down the stretch and in the playoffs. Finally, Terry Francona confirmed that Francisco Lindor is going to begin the season on the injured list. That said, it still sounds like he should be back early. Not much to say here except that Lindor owners really need to just have another shortstop in place for the first week or two. Andrew, I know you own him, so that applies to you yeah it'll be uh probably a scrub replacing him in the situation that i have him so <laughs> hopefully he's back pretty quick it sounds pretty good though it sounds like he'll be back quick have you even looked to see what's available in your dynasty league at shortstop right now i have yeah it's ugly but i was only i was only gonna make a drastic move if it was a if it was like a big ordeal, you know, if he was out for a long time or something. But yeah. for a week or something, it's no big deal. I'll just put in whatever. All right. It's time to talk some Dynasty Startup. All right, Andrew. Rotomasters 3. It is the third year you've had a dynasty startup in what is that four years because your first one was 2016 and then rotomasters 2 which i was in was 2017 so i'm right there three and four years yeah yeah three and four years i joined a different startup last year that i i don't run but yeah 
Yeah, the third uh, Rota Masters in four years, yep. And those are the only four dynasties you're in, right? Yeah. Yep, those three and the one I joined last year. It's the real real fake dynasty, the uh, Walter McMichael and Paul Martin, their uh, real fake dynasty podcast, they, or real fake baseball podcast. They started it, called it Real Fake Dynasty. So that's a 20-teamer. And the first two Roto Masters are 15 team and the third one's 20 so for those of you keeping score four dynasties in four league four years come 2030 that'll be andrew's 15th dynasty he'll be in at this pace <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> what what's sick is it's probably true <laughs> it's like i will say man dynasty startup drafts are like the greatest thing. There's like, nothing better. There is nothing better. There is absolutely nothing better. And when we were going through this draft, we did a six-hour clock and a six-hour sleep time at night from like 1 to 7 a.m. Central, you know, my time, Central time, so 2 to 8 Eastern or whatever. But um, I remember, and the draft moved slow. It was 22 days, but... You know, when it's moving slow, you're kind of like, let's speed this up. And then there would be moments where I was like, no, let's not speed this up because it's only one time. And once it's over, it's over. You know, obviously you play the league out, but you don't want to like wish away the best part of it. Like the draft is the best, man. It's so fun. I love them. I love startup drafts. And everybody who's in it loves it. That's the thing. And that's the hard part of Dynasties. We'll probably try having a podcast eventually, maybe during the off-season or one of the slow parts, where we talk about what makes it for a good Dynasty and the best suggestions for setting one up. But, you know, I I mentioned early, in the early podcast that I, in a new, I joined a new startup Dynasty because the one I was in, my first Dynasty League that started in 2016, folded. And it was because half the teams in that league were inactive or just weren't keeping up on their teams often enough. And it took some fun out of the league. But I'm saying that to say, even whenever we were doing our startup dynasty, all of those guys that were in that league, they were all in. They were excited. That's the fun part of a startup dynasty. Everybody is all in and excited about drafting a team and going whatever route they want to go in terms of building its roster to go for it now, building a roster that's kind of in between, or drafting a team and building a mega dynasty hope hoping to with a bunch of youth. There's a bunch of different ways you can go with it. Alright, so back to our Rotomasters three. Andrew, this was a KDS lottery determined draft order, which is how mine was also done. Why don't you explain what KDS is and why you prefer determining draft order this way? Because before you, I hadn't really gone this route with any draft before. I actually meant to ask you if that's how yours was done, too. I, I forgot what yours or how yours was done. but yep. uh, Yeah, so KDS, you know, I started playing NFBC leagues several years back, and I've probably been playing them for... I don't know, six, six, seven years, something like that. And uh, they do KDS on there for most of their leagues. 
basically what it is is you rank your draft slots. So if there's 15 teams, well, in this case, there's 20, so I'll just use that. But you basically rank the 20 slots from 1 to 20 in the order that you want them. So, like, if you want the first pick the most, you rank that one. And then if you want the second pick the second most, you rank that two. And then if after that you would like the 20th pick, then you rank that third, you know. And you just rank it all the way down. And then, um, so I had everybody do that and send me their draft, you know, their KDS order. And then I use a I use a website. It's called uh, DraftOrderGenerator.com. And basically, what that does is it randomizes an order. And I do it to where I just have it randomize the order for the KDS, and then I I fill out the order. So let's say, like, if you were in the league, let's say you got the first slot on the KDS run. Well, then I would look at your list. And if you have the fifth pick as your first choice, you get the fifth pick. And then so-and-so is second on the KDS run. He has the first pick as his first choice. He gets that. If he had fifth, he would get his second choice. And it just bumps it all the way down until you fill all the slots. I like it because it gives you some... Um, some control because you rank the slots, but it's also somewhat random too, because, and it's, you know, that part of it is just, you know, that's, it's luck as far as where you draw, but the only other way to really do it is if you did like an auction or something, but if it, for a non auction, like if you're just doing a snake draft for your startup, I think it's the fairest way to do it. And it still gives you a little control as opposed to just having a random draw for slots. What I like about it is you're more likely to get a slot you like this way. Because there are people that like being in the middle of a draft. They don't like being on the ends and having to wait a long time between picks. And there's people that like being on the ends. And you could be the last guy to get a pick. You have a, still have a real good shot at getting one of the spots you want because those people who hate being on the ends, usually there's people that want the ends, so they've taken those spots and vice versa to where you could probably be somewhere in between at least. If you're wanting to be on the ends, you probably won't get stuck in the middle because those spots will get taken by people who want to be in the middle. So you may not get exactly where you want to be, but odds are you can at least be in the range near where you're hoping to be. Yeah, and you're not like you're not going to get like your last choice or the ones that you absolutely don't want. I mean, typically yep. you're, you're not going to get that. And KDS that stands for Kentucky Derby. Kentucky Out- Kentucky Derby style. I think they call it on NFBC. They call it KDS preferences or whatever. It's just like the way that's just the name for it, you know. But I, I believe yep. it's style is what the S stands for. But I highly recommend trying that if you're ever wanting to do a dynasty startup. I highly recommend going Kentucky Derby style, unless you do an auction, which I've done an auction dynasty startup. My first one was, and I really enjoyed that too. But if you're going to go snake draft, Kentucky Derby is the way to go. 
All right, Andrew, you landed the fourth overall pick, and I know that was your number one preference for where you wanted to pick. And with that pick in the first round, you took Vladimir Guerrero Jr. No surprise to anybody listening. I think we spent 18 minutes talking about him on the third base podcast. Why did you choose four as your number one option in Kentucky Derby? Uh, I pretty much decided that I wanted Trout, Acuna, Vlad, Betts, one of the four. And I didn't really want to make the decision between Acuna and Vlad. So I just went with four as my top choice, assuming that Betts probably wouldn't drop. You know, like you assumed Trout won. And I assumed Betts wouldn't be there at four. If he was, I was taking him. But if he's not, then obviously that tells me that either Acuna or Vlad is. So that was kind of my mindset behind it, just getting one of those four guys. I, I was actually – I wound up being sixth on the KDS run, but none of the guys in front of me had four as, like, their top, you know, or the one that they got. So I got a little lucky as far as that went, but – that's the neat part we were saying about KDS. There's guys who probably wanted to be in the middle or on the end, on the other end, to where you were able to get in the slot you wanted to be, even though you were well behind that. I mean, you had the sixth overall in KDS and still landed in it. With the first pick, real big shocker, Mike Trout went. And then Mookie Betts went number two. Ronald Acuna went number three. And that was interesting because the guy who took Acuna as a uh, – Blue Jays fan, if I recall. Yeah. Number number four went Vlad Jr. Number five was interesting with Trey Turner going there. And number six was Alex Bregman. Seven was Juan Soto. Eight was Eloy Jimenez. Nine, Jose Ramirez. Ten, Aaron Judge. Number 11 was Bryce Harper. Twelve, Francisco Lindor. Walker Bueller at 13. Manny Machado at 14. Christian Yelich at 15, rookie Victor Robles at 16, Nolan Arenado at 17, Fernando Tatis at 18, Trevor Story at 19, and Chris Sale at 20. It was a real interesting first round to look at here. The first thing that really stands out to me when I look at this draft compared to mine is that the prospects and kids went even earlier than they did in my draft. Eloy Jimenez went eighth overall in this league. And I'm a big fan of Eloy, but dang, that is an aggressive pick. But I say that there's a good chance he won't be there again when that guy's picking at 32. So if he's your guy, more power to you. Yeah, I was uh, I was floored when the Eloy pick happened, but I totally understand it. It's like if you want the guy, he's probably not coming back. You've got one shot at him. Take him, you know, and. The more I thought about it after it happened, I liked it. I mean, it was just, I hadn't, it's whenever you haven't seen something done before and then you see it done, it kind of, uh, kind of wows you a little bit and it wowed me, but yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting for sure. Yeah. And that's not the last time I'm going to say shock factor came in the first round looking through here, but I'll get to that in a second. Given that your dynasty here is an OVP dynasty, I sure loved Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper at 10 and 11. Francisco Lindor was also a pick I love because 
the hamstring injury is giving that guy a discount where he's basically losing a week or two in the dynasty keep forever league. If it wasn't for that, Lindor's probably going six to eight picks earlier than this, at least. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I love that pick. He should not have went to 12. I don't, I don't even understand it at all. I actually, you could argue that anybody that doesn't like Vlad as much as me could have easily taken him four. I mean, I, I, you know, I think he'd be fine there. So, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of crazy he slipped to 12. Yeah, that's a good point I hadn't thought of. Let's say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. didn't play baseball. So I'm just removing him from this list. Yeah, I think I'm taking him fourth on this list. That's a nice discount. And moving back to where I was saying that shock factor, number 13 was definitely shock packed. Factor. It was a pick that surprised me most in the first round. Walker Bueller, who I know, Andrew, this is a guy you love, but man, taking him at 13, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was another one that threw me, but I tell you what, the guy, Derek Catter, is the one that took him. He's defending RM1 champion. I can't say anything bad about anything he does. He's, he's awesome. He's a great, great player. So, when he took him, I just had a real big smile on my face because I have him in the league that I'm trying to beat Derek in. But, yeah, he, he's an awesome player. I just I thought it was cool to see him take him there. I'm in one of Jory's draft and hold leagues that he set up in Baseball 365 with Derek. And right when I saw he was in the league, I did message him and say, man, I've heard you're a shark. <laughs> yeah, he's real good. Moving on, Victor Robles went at 16. That also was an aggressive pick, but given where the kids are going, it par for the course, I guess. It's a fun one. Robles seems to have a lot of the same tools Buxton has. That's the comp I continue hearing with him. Hopefully he just has a better plate approach than Buxton, but I think he does have that. Yeah, I think he does too. I think it's fine. I say this, you know, once you say it a thousand times, it's like, when you're in these drafts, especially in dynasty leagues, different than redraft, because you have these guys forever unless you trade them. And it's like, just take the guy that you want. And I, I truly, you know, all these guys are great players, I feel like, and I don't have any issue with any of the picks. I think they're all good. It's everybody getting their guys, you know. And if it means you take them – a little higher than they typically go to make sure you get them. That's what you do because the worst thing to do is to say, Oh, I could wait another round on him or, you know, a couple rounds on him. And then all of a sudden somebody has the same thought as you and boom, they're gone. So that sucks. I mean, it, it sucks. And that's why I I don't mind people getting aggressive on players, especially young players that have a lot of upside like Robles. Yeah, that's the advice you gave to me going into my startup. If you're looking at a guy you really like and you think you can get him around later, but you really want him, just take him. Because grand scheme of things, it's a keep forever league and you're going to beat yourself up real bad if you lose out on a guy because you waited around on him. Yep. Aaron Otto going 17 overall. Dang, that's a nice value. Quite a fall, but I also think this draft and pick was made before he had re-signed in Colorado. Yeah, I think it was. 
I can't remember the exact timeline, but I, I believe so. Now that he's locked in in that ballpark, that stadium, or with that lineup that's around him, which they always seem to have young, more young bats on the way, he's. I think he's going to be good for a long time, even though he's, you know, older for a Dynasty League first-round pick. And I say older, he's 28. Is that right? Is he 28? I think he's, I think he's 27. He'll be 28 okay. this year, I think. It's crazy to look around at the rest of this Dynasty startup and really realize that He's one of the old guys. <laughs> yeah. 27 means, I think Aaron Judge might be 27. I think he's 26 or 27. Trout's 27. Aaron Otto will be 28 next month. So, about a month. <laughs> Chris Sale, definitely the old guy who we haven't gotten to yet. And then Fernando Tatis makes for the fourth prospect who went in the top 20 in Roto Masters 3. And I went and looked it up for my draft. That compares to only one that went in the top 32 picks in my league. Yeah, I was going to ask you, for yours, did you have three? I know you got the third pick, right? Yes. Did you have three as your top spot for your KDS? Yes, I did. My thought process was I really I didn't want the number one overall pick, which I ended up getting first on the Kentucky Derby drawing. My name came first, so oh, I picked yeah, that three yeah, spot. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, now <laughs> Which, I remember. <laughs> you and I laughed about that because I'm the commissioner of the league, and I Facebook live the video because I just don't want there to be any questions about the integrity. So I Facebook live yeah. it and the vi- click the send, is, and it sends an email to everybody immediately. And you could just hear in my voice me stop and freeze for a moment when I realized I got number one because I did not – want to end up number one because yeah. it's just a integrity thing to where you don't want anybody to question it. Fortunately, between the Facebook live and all and people knowing me, I didn't have anybody who outwardly questioned anything. A lot of them were laughing about it because of how awkward I sounded in the video. But yes, I did get num- a n- pick number three. I really didn't want to get trout at one because that lines you up. If you take trout, you pretty much have to, play to win now because you've got the best player on the planet and who knows how long he's going to be the best player could be for another five years could be for only another year or two we just don't know and i'd rather take the young guy who like vlad or acuna that i feel confident is going to be a first round value for many years to come if not the best players in the league and just to ensure i got one of them because i feel the same way about bets that i do trout except he's just not quite my trout so I really wanted to get Betts or, or Acuna or Vlad for me. So I took the three spot. Cool. Okay. Let's get to your team now, Andrew. In the second round at pick 37, you took Corey Seager. And then seven picks later, you took Glaber Torres at 44. While these are, again, youngsters, you still have a roster that gives you the flexibility and the options going veterans or youth with your draft with your next few picks. So it's kind of nice because it looks like you've got time to go either route. Yeah. When I got to uh, the second round, when I picked Seager, it was kind of a tough spot because, yeah, Stanton went right in front of me, and I was all lined up to take him. It was a tough spot, but – I liked Seager and I liked Glaber and I got them both just because 
they're both young. They're both hitters. They're, you know, premium position guys, good teams. I feel like they're guys that are just going to last a long time. And as we go through some of the guys that I picked or a lot of the guys that I pick, I focus heavily on bats because they last longer and heavily on young bats because I just feel like that their, uh, their value holds more than, you know, pitchers or older hitters or, you know, closers, obviously, you know, they just, whether, you know, I took Seager at 37, Glaber at 44, I think it was. And whether or not they actually pay off to that spot in the next year to two years, it may not happen, but I feel like over time, they're always going to be very good and in that range and last long enough that it makes the pick worth it. They're young major league hitters that are studs. You know, I remember talking to you while this was going on. I had forgotten until you just brought up that Stanton went the pick before and how you were really wanting to get him there. And I think I know you really like Ozzy Albies. He won a few picks before Freddie Freeman. All those guys are guys you liked to where they went. And you went Seager, and I like the pick too because, especially in OBP, he's a solid player. But I wonder how different your draft would have been had you ended up with Stanton right there because. While he's still not really old, he's not a spring chicken either. Yeah, that's it probably made more sense for the way that I ended up going to do exactly what I did. So it uh I think it's fine. I think it was fine. You know, I didn't love the Glaber took pick when you took took it and you and I talked a while about it. And I don't know, I'm just not in love with him, but Again, he's a solid young player who's going to be good for a long time to where uh, the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, it's solid. It made sense, especially looking at the picks afterwards. It really did make seem to make sense in the pick to take there. Yeah, I mean, he's he's 22 and his ADP in redraft is 54. And I took him at 44. I actually really like that pick, but it's not even so much that I love him specifically. It's just, I just feel like he's going to be around for a long time and be productive for a long time. I mean, he's super young and he, he crushed MLB last year. And I was saying before that your team could go either direction and you definitely went one direction after that. Your next five selections rounds four through eight were all prospects who've yet to see the major leagues. Joe Adele you took in the fourth round, Bo Bichette in the fifth, Jonathan India in the sixth, youngster Christian Robinson in the seventh, and Jordan Alvarez in the eighth round. There's a lot of young talent in this group, with most of it relatively close, except for one guy. While Bo, Adele, India, and Jordan could all be up within the next year to year and a half, Robinson has quite a bit of time before making the bigs. What what is it about him that made you feel comfortable taking him here? It was aggressive. I'll admit it was probably a little higher than I should have done it. Looking back on it, um, not too much. I'm mostly comfortable with it. It was it was a little it was a little aggressive though. I think, and people are going to think I'm insane when I say this, but I don't really care. 
I think if there is a Ronald Acuna lurking in the low minors right now, it's Christian Robinson. And on that sole fact alone, even if you put the probability of that at, you know, whatever low percent percentage you want to put it at, because I'll admit it's low, you know, it's not like I expect that or anything like that, but um, I think his ceiling is as high as pretty much anybody in the low minors. And somebody is going to be aggressive on that guy. If it's, you know, if it's not me, there was going to be, he wasn't going to last much longer. I didn't feel like anyways, I've seen him on top 20 prospect on one list, top 30 on another already, you know, and he's, he's super, super young. So it was just, just a guy that I wanted you know, just and I, I feel like he's a guy that could shoot all the way to the top. But there's risk, of course. I mean, you're you're talking about a young kid, so it's it's never going to be perfect. But when you look at some of the other players that win in this range, I feel like they have risk too. You know, and that's a lot of it. Is you know we don't have the draft board to show people as we talk about this, but when you look at the draft, you know and as you go down the line, there's guys in the range of each spot where I took a lot of these young bats where I just think, well, yeah, those guys might be in the majors, but, or they might be closer, but they have their issues too, you know? And I'm mostly just looking for talent and upside. Yeah. It's not fair that I even asked you that question the way that I did, because to go behind the curtain, when you were, picking at that spot, I was probably trying to talk you more into taking Christian Robinson than anybody else you were talking to or how you were feeling. So I agree because about the whole, there are other people in that league who were being aggressive on youngsters and I could have easily seen him go before it got back to you because the problem is that at that pick there, the fourth pick in the seventh round is 124th overall. And your next pick is not till 157. So you have 33 picks to get back to. That's a long time. And all it takes is one guy. Yeah, I could have maybe waited till the 8-9. But it was kind of a spot, too, where there was nobody else that I really wanted. And mm-hmm. you, know, you know how those go. It's just like, take the guy that sticks out. I, I also want to say this, too. And people are probably like, this guy's nuts, like taking an 18-year-old this spot in the draft. I have seen Christian Robinson this offseason go in two separate trades. One as the headliner for Verlander and one as like the co-headliner for Stanton. So whatever you think about how crazy it is and you know whatever a lot of this is trade value and that's kind of how my mind works on a lot of this stuff it's building assets building trade value having pieces that every team in your league is going to be interested in not just one team if you side with older players you know there's nothing wrong with that but a lot of times you get to a point where the the number of teams that are interested in that specific player, if you're talking about like a 30-year-old 
you know, veteran or, you know, 32 year old veteran or something like that. Your, your win, the number of teams that are interested in that player is less than it is a young player. It just is. I mean, it's just, I've seen it happen a lot, you know? So that's kind of why I side with the youth. Yeah. To give you an example, actually, somebody hit me up in one of my dynasties asking me about a veteran closer who may hold the job for about another half a year to a year, maybe. And they were asking me about him and wanting to trade for a youngster. And he had a reason for why he was wanting to do it. And it made sense. I mean, it made sense what he was selling, but I'm not competing this year. So it made no sense for me to take that trade. So yeah, a guy like that, as compared to if he was coming to me with a youngster, I might've been more willing to talk. If he was right. to talk, but and, ev- for- and everybody, no matter if you're in, if you're competing right now, or if you're not competing right now, like wherever your window is, everybody wants young hitters. Everybody does. So all the teams, if, if you load up on young hitters, all the teams are going to be interested in them. Whereas if you're trying to move, Joey Votto. Exactly. Perfect example. And Joey Votto's great, obviously. Like, we're not denying that. But if you're trying to move Joey Votto, you're only going to have a few teams, unless you're just, you know, totally undervaluing him. If you're giving Joey Votto away, then I'm taking him no matter where I'm at. But Mm -hmm. if it's a norm, you know, if you're asking for a normal return, it's like the number of teams that want that guy, it's, you know, what, four, five, I mean, six during the season. Maybe, maybe less because some of those teams that are competing and are in the hunt may have a first baseman that they deem better than Joey Votto or more valuable in a dynasty league. So it's, it, it can be tough is all I'm saying. I think when you, when you draft a dynasty team, you have to go one of two ways Either you go for the win, you try and win the league immediately, or you try and build a dynasty long-term, basically year two and beyond or year three and beyond, depending on how the first year, year and a half goes. But I think you have to make a decision, one or the other. And these people that try and walk the line and do both, it, isn't, it, it just doesn't work because there's somebody – that is going hard for the win right now, and there's somebody that's going hard for the dynasty in the future. And if you don't do either one and you just r- try and ride the middle, you're going to finish in the middle. And that's not where you want to be. <laughs> yep. And then you're either staying in the middle for a long time or you're selling everything and then you're rebuilding anyways. Right, right. And then, and then the other thing, it's like when you're in the middle – it's hard to decide which way to go too. Like mm-hmm. if you're, if you're kind of torn, like, Oh, maybe I should do this or that. Cause you don't know because you're stuck in the middle. And I feel like you just have to make that choice when you, when you draft. And I usually like to go, uh, go young and kind of throw away the first year and try and build for year two and beyond maybe year three and beyond. Like I said, it, it depends a lot on how the first year to year and a half goes. But like I have a team 
in my other 20-team dynasty where I did this same thing. Last year, I finished 18th, but I've been told by multiple guys in the league that they love my team, like they love my roster, you know? It's just, it's just, it's building up. It's a lot of young hitters, and I don't really have much pitching yet, but, you know, you just work to get it where you can, and um, but yeah, I've got, I've just got a ton of young bats and they're all like right on the cusp of the majors. Most of them are actually already in the majors now, or a lot of them are. And I've got, you know, got Vlad there too and stuff. So, but you just have to kind of make that, uh, make that decision. I think you can't, you can't try and walk down the middle. It is not, it's not going to work. All right, so after three young Major League guys and five prospects, your next pick is Aroldis Chapman. Now I know why you did that, but tell everybody else why. Yeah, it was a weird spot. I was I was looking at the players, and I, I was like, man, why is Kenley, – Kenley went like that about right before that, about, well, about 15 to 20 picks before, but it was the round before on the way back in round eight. And I remember thinking like, why are these guys on the board? Because, and I'm, I mean, I'm not a closer guy in dynasty, you know, it's, they, they come and go and lose their jobs so much. But the one thing I will say, Ian Khan is the best dynasty player I've ever played with in any league. And the one thing that he told me, a couple years ago, and it has always stuck with me more than more than anything that he's said to me, and I've talked to him a lot. But one thing he told me is the elite closers are the only ones that have value in Dynasty. And they have a lot of it. And it's like I got to this point, and I'm like, Aroldis is an elite closer. And I looked at these other guys that were available – and I just wouldn't trade Aroldis for those guys. That's pretty much all it was. You know, it was like I just viewed Aroldis as better than all of them. So I took him. I think that point with the relievers is good because mid, like mid-range closers and stuff, there's, there's probably about six of them, five to six off the top of my head, maybe seven, that I view like that. And everybody else, you can have them. I I feel like they just cycle, cycle constantly. But like the league I'm in with Ian, he has Kenley and he has Aroldis. And I think he even has another one that's a stud. But like those guys are worth a ton because they are, they do it every single season, you know? I think in Rotor Masters too, I think you still have Aroldis and Kenley on that team. So you're in the same boat there. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the rest of your picks in the teen rounds. We got at round 11, you took, actually, we'll go round 10, Marco Luciano, which everything I think you said about Christian Robinson applies to Luciano. If you want to hear about how much Andrew loves Luciano, go back and listen to our prospect podcast because Andrew talked in depth about his love for him there. Alex Vertigo is pick number 11, round 11, round 12, Gavin Lux. Nico Horner is round 13. Lance McCullers round 14. Jordan Groshans around 15. Joey Bart at round 16. Antonio Cabello is at 17. Lewis Brinson's at 18. Estevan Florial at 19. And round 20 is Brandon Marsh. 
a lot of youth still, and Lance McCullough stands out from the others. Why take a pitcher who's having TJ surgery here? Uh, well, I, I'm clearly just building for the future, but um, it was kind of that point where I like I like him. For one, I like him. And, uh, you know, he's undervalued now because he's hurt, obviously. So he's going lower than he would be if he wasn't. And I still have to fill major league slots. You know, it's not like I could just draft all uber young bats. So uh, as much as I was trying to do that, I was also trying to keep an eye on those other spots and uh, fill them where I could. And I thought that was a good spot for McCullers. Yeah, that's something that stood out to me now doing three dynasty startups. Pitchers if who are injured, maybe off of Tommy John or whatever, those are nice values for dynasty startups, especially if you're not playing the weird win year one. You can get some real nice value out of that. And I've seen this happen year after year of dynasty startups where the guy who is having Tommy John can be had for a price that is a year later is a it's a profit so i like that there so what about yeah. the rest of your picks in the teen rounds who do you want to talk about from that group um i don't i mean luciano i i feel like anybody that i talk to they kind of know my opinion on him i i think there's potential superstardom there obviously it's a ways off um i mostly hear I wasn't, you know, I, I don't think about positions. Again, it's just like just building assets, players that I can potentially move or, you know, could help me down the line, whether it be on my team or guys that I can move to other teams. Uh, nobody specifically, I guess. Uh, Cabello, he, um, I believe he signed as a catcher. And for whatever reason, they still have him listed as one. But he's actually an outfielder. But, but uh, yeah, no, just guys that I think are good hitters and are going to last. You know, that's really a lot of a lot of what I was doing at this point in the draft. Just guys that I think will hold value or have really really high ceilings. And uh, yeah, but sticking as much with as much as I could to the, towards the bats. And I, I took some arms later on that I kind of like, but I didn't want to take them too high because I know how, how it is with, with arms. And I still feel like I got some undervalued ones that are injured currently and stuff like that. I really like your 18-19 picks here in rounds 18 and 19. Two guys who are pretty close to the same guy, Lewis Brinson and Estevan Florial, two outfielders with incredible tools but bad hit tools right now to where if you if either one of those guys starts making better contact that's a steal way back there but there's also risk and that's why they're going this late but i like those two yeah the other thing to keep in mind too when i'm just taking all these guys is they they don't all have to hit like i clearly know and i know that you just I don't want to speak for you, but I know that you had a similar strategy in yours where you took a lot of young players and these guys don't all have to hit. I mean, I clearly know that when I am taking young, young players like this, 
that some of them are going to totally flame out, not be good, you know, whatever you want to call it. But the more shots that you take on them, the more likely you are to have enough that hit. And that's all you need is just enough that hit. I mean, because like I said, there's plenty of major leaguers here too in in these ranges that are going to miss. I mean, there's plenty of them. There's plenty of pitchers that just have gone way they just go way too high i just i look at them and i'm like i i just would never ever do it i'd much rather just be invested in the hitters the for my higher picks you know the first half of my draft i think i took 21 hitters in my first 23 picks i just feel like that they last longer you know kind of what i've said before too but Another way I'd spin that, Floreal Brinson, you took at 357, 364. I'm going to skip ahead and round 22, you took Franklin Barreto at 437. Let's say one of those three players hit and turned into a top 100 player. That's a win, even if yeah. the other two never make it. Because yep. grand scheme of things, even if you don't believe in the player and the hit tool, you can trade them and get a lot at that point, a lot more than three picks that are around 18, 19, and 22. You can get a lot better than that. The other thing is, too, is those three that you named were all after pick 350. Uh-huh. And, I mean, when you look at some of these other guys that are going in that range, they have no chance to be a star. Zero. And those guys at least have that chance. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they will be at all because I know that they may not, but you just hope that you, you know, you trust your evaluation of these guys and you just take as many of them as you possibly can and you load up and you load up. And when you think you have enough, you keep taking them. It just turns into chips and guys that you can move and, you know, and then you can kind of form your team the way you want. One thing I want to touch on, I don't know if we, I don't think I've mentioned it, but is like positions. Like, don't worry. I just, I don't worry about positions ever when I draft dynasty teams, ever. I don't think I need a third baseman or I need a. Now, if, if you're playing for the win in year one, you kind of have to think that way a little bit. But. If you're going the way I'm going with this, you don't. You just don't have to worry about it. Like, if the best player on the board for seven consecutive rounds is a shortstop, I'm taking seven consecutive shortstops. I don't care. Because what will happen is two of them will move to third base, two of them will move to second base, one of them will stay, one will move to the outfield, and you'll end up trading a couple of them anyways. It just doesn't matter. I, I don't care at all about positions with with prospects in, in Dynasty. Not at all. Yeah, I've heard you tell me that a couple of years ago. Right after our Rotomasters 2 Dynasty startup, I may have told this story before on the podcast, but I didn't feel good about the shortstop that I drafted. I went with a young team, and I missed out on a lot of the shortstop prospects. There were quite a few of them. And I took Franklin Barreto. And my thought process was, okay, now I've got a shortstop for the future. He's not playing shortstop. A week after the draft, I made a big trade where I ended up landing Brennan Rodgers. Got a shortstop. He's not playing shortstop now, which 
he still could, but I don't think he's going to end up being the shortstop for the Colorado Rockies. Anyway, don't draft for positions because you never know where they're even going to be playing in a couple years. And if you're not competing, it really doesn't matter. You're just wanting to get the best talent because grand scheme of things, you can trade that talent when you get close. So I, that was a lesson I learned from you a few years ago that stuck out to me over the years as I started playing dynasties more. Right. Why would you rather take a C-level prospect at a position you need as opposed to an A or B level prospect at a position you're stacked at when you could just take the A or B level prospect, you know, the better prospect at a position you're loaded at and move them for more than that C level prospect that you would be drafting. And that is my entire mindset on everything. It, it's all about like acquiring as much talent as you can and then figuring it out after that. You know, I, I'll, I worry more about positions and exact stat categories once my team is firmly in its contention window. Like in Rotomasters 2, I'm in my contention window, same as Rotomasters 1. You know, I, I'm competing. Like I got second or uh, third, I got third in both last year. So I'm in, you know, in that range where I could win. And I think more about it in those leagues because I am obviously trying to win the league. But, you know, when I'm doing this startup and I know I'm because I'm not going to win this league this year, I know that. And therefore, it doesn't matter to me is what I'm. That's kind of my point. Move on to the round 21 through 30. Uh, Colton Walker with the Rockies. Then you took Franklin Barreto, who we already mentioned. Akil Badu, another guy I know you really like. Taiwan Walker. Vince Velasquez. And then Tuca Pita Marcano with the hey, Padres. You did, you, did, you did good there. That was good. <laughs> I've heard it a lot, and I just had to go slow. Yeah. <laughs> Danny Salazar with the... Indians, who we've talked about before, Sandy Alcantara, Corey Ray, and Eric Thames at round 30. A lot. When I look at that list, I see a lot of prospects filled, and it looks like you've got a lot of buy-low guys here that we've already talked about in terms of just trying to get value. Barreto, Taiwan Walker, Velasquez, Danny Salazar. I love that strategy personally because I think they all have some upside and feel like good prices. If they hit, awesome. If not, oh well, at least you got them at discounts. Yeah, when you're getting to this point, you're starting to just try and take guys that you feel like you could hit a home run on. I was kind of starting to fill slots a little bit, too, because my minors were starting to get jammed a little bit. And uh, I knew I needed to take some pitchers. Some of the, the pitchers you listed off, like Taiwan and Velazquez and Salazar, I think they have talent. They're just undervalued now because they're hurt or at least in the case of uh, Taiwan and Salazar, they are even a little further down. I got another injured pitcher or two, but they're not injured forever. So I feel like I can get some value there, but I know you kind of, you kind of did that in yours too, right? You took a few mm-hmm. injured. I know you took Ty. You got Taiwan and Salazar too, didn't you? Or at least Taiwan. I think I did take both. Yeah. And yeah. Michael Pineda. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's guys like that because just because they're hurt now doesn't mean they're going to be hurt forever. I, I feel like that when you get them at that point, it, they're on the cheap. And in a long-term dynasty league, a current injury, it's not the end of the world. It's just like, like I said, especially if you're doing like a year one throwaway, which I will say it's not for everybody. So if, if you're of the mindset of you want to go for the win right, right out of the gate, do it. It's totally fine. And therefore, some of this stuff isn't going to apply because I'm basically talking about not caring about the first year. And the like somebody who's out for part of the first year, it doesn't matter to me. I, I don't care. When, I, when I'm ready you know, to start trying to compete, they, I assume they'll be healthy. And you said in there that people discount them a lot, but some of those people say, well, they're hurt. It's not like they're going to come back and definitely be healthy. And well, yeah, but the grand scheme of things, if you take four or five of those guys, it's kind of like a prospect. You don't have to hit on all of them. You just need one or two of them to become starting pitcher threes. And that's great. You've done well. Right. And the other thing is too, what they're not saying when they say that is, okay, I'm taking an injured pitcher in round 24. And yeah, I'm saying that at some point I think he'll be healthy and you're saying he may not, which is, which is fair. But my counter argument to that is you're taking a pitcher in round nine or 10 that could get hurt. And I'm at least taking the guy that's dropped way off at a lower point. I mean, there's a lot more risk when you move way up and way up in this, you know, and there's, there's plenty of pitchers that every time I look at a dynasty draft, I'm like, they go too high. There's a lot of them that in every single dynasty draft, it, it's almost like my mind is just blown. Like, wow, all it takes is that guy being out for a year. And they're really going to regret that when they took him in round nine or 10, as opposed to just waiting and taking, Somebody who may be banged out, banged up right now in round 25. All right. I'm not going to list off all your picks after round 30, but why don't you tell me about your favorite picks you took? At the end? Yeah, just anybody from 30 to 50. Talk about the guys. Uh, that... There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of gross guys in here because you're so late. I mean, after... 30 20 team league you're like pick 600 and beyond i i took danny duffy and cueto back to back in round 34 and 35 two more undervalued pitchers that are currently hurt is kind of my theme with my pitchers and then i was just kind of filling out my roster nothing that stands out too much i did get uh Robbie Grossman and Chisenhall should get some time. I got them in like the late 30, early 40s rounds. Uh, took my last prospect, Eddie Diaz, for the Rockies. Stole 84 bases the last two seasons. He was my last prospect I took in round 40. And uh, he's about to come over to the States. Good, uh, good hit tool, plate discipline, stuff like that. I think I sniped one or two guys when I took him, but. But yeah, nothing, nothing real thrilling here at the end. You know, you're just kind of uh, filling out a lineup. The main thing I would say to all, about all of this is mostly just choose a path. You know, there's nothing wrong with 
Like, I don't ever look at somebody because I think all these owners are great in this league. I pick, take time and pick owners and try and make the leagues that I run as good as I can going in at least. And I feel like all these guys are good or else I wouldn't have picked them. And I, we, a lot of people have different strategies, you know, like there's several guys in the league that are going for the win right now. And it's great. You know, like it's good. It's cool to see that too. Cause it's just a different, it's a different, uh, viewpoint, but there's nothing wrong with that either. And I, I like seeing the different strategies, you know, everybody kind of does their own thing. And I don't think that any of it's wrong. Yeah. You can go a lot of different ways. And I agree. It's that's the fun part of dynasty. You can go a lot of different routes. You'll have guys plan to win now. And you usually have a couple of them at least. And you may have a couple guys that maybe go in the middle that are competing because they hit on a couple players that maybe they weren't expecting to. And you got a couple guys that just taking young players all the way through and watching them just build through that process. It's what makes dynasty leagues fun. Not everybody does the same thing. Right. Right. And I, I feel like I, I guess a lot of the reason I, I go the way that I go is I feel like when you have the veteran, you know, that's in the middle of their career, middle to late stage of their career, you draft them somewhat high in a dynasty draft and they have that year where they kind of fall off the table. Nobody wants them. And I just try to avoid that with every single pick because I know that all the picks are crucial going down the line. And I'm trying to just take as many guys that I can that I feel like their value is on the upswing and is going to keep going up and eventually allow me to move pieces around to where I can build that dynasty. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about is being competitive year after year after year. We discussed 10 step on the last podcast and early in this podcast, and you sure followed the 10 step strategy in this draft, not a single prospect pitcher. So you practiced what you preached. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even go in planning it that way. I just it's just kind of how it fell, I guess. I was trying to take the hitters and uh there was a few pitchers that I wanted, couple at least, and they just went before I was willing to take them. You know, not none of them really like broke my heart when they went. It's just again, it's one of those things that it doesn't mean that I don't think pitching is important and I don't ever want pitching. These aren't draft and hold leagues. Like, I'll get the pitching some way, you know, at some point I mean, when I need it. Pitching, I don't like projecting pitching beyond, I don't know, what do you say, two or three, two to three years maybe? I think that's right. Oh, yeah, because you just don't know where anybody's going to be in two or three years. Right. It's like. I don't know. I, I feel like if you start playing that game, it's going to get real tough. And I just prefer not to. So, comparison's sake, yeah. Mookie Betts is 26 right now. Two to three years from now, he may not be a top five overall player. He might still be. But the grand scheme of things, he's not going to be somebody who's just done. 
three years from now. You don't have to worry about that with injuries and performance because some of these guys just get enough miles on them that they all of a sudden go from being a superstar to not good anymore. We saw that happen with Tim Lincecum, Felix Hernandez. It happens. You just don't have to worry about that quite to that level with hitters. Yeah, you just don't know. No, Nobody is immune to it, you know? Like, no matter how good these guys are, it doesn't mean that they're immune. Like, we just saw it with Lazardo, you know? And, and everybody's, like, in love with him. And I don't blame them. He's really good. But that stuff, and, you know, Severino's seeing it, Kershaw's seeing it. It, it just happens. And the randomness that it, that comes with that is just something that I would rather not deal with until I have to deal with getting the pitching to cap off what you hope is an awesome lineup. Once your lineup is there and you you feel like your team is good to go, you're going to need the pitching to win the league, obviously. But until then, I'd rather be invested in the hitters because that's just, for one, they have more value than the pitchers to begin with. Just in general, you know, hitters just have more value than pitchers. And why take that risk of the pitcher going down with some kind of injury that's going to cripple his value when you don't have to take it because, you know, your team isn't firmly in its contention window. So... That's just how I like to do it, but it's it's not for everybody. There's some people that are probably going to want to win out of the gate. The one thing I will say is I've seen it happen multiple times in Dynasty Leagues when the team that wins it the first year, the team does not look nearly as good year two, year three, year four, you know, and down the line. It's really tough to win the first season and keep that going. Because generally it's an older team, you know, that's winning the first year. Just because they're the one that's willing to make the most moves and not care about prospects and all that stuff. And then they have an older team, typically. That's really good for that season. And they win. And that's great, you know, because flags fly forever. And that's the ultimate goal is to win the league, obviously. But then there's a point, you know, shortly after that where it can be tough. I've seen it happen to multiple teams. It, it's really tough. And like I said, I just I like doing it the other way. Yeah, that happened in both Roto Masters leagues. Yeah. First champion of both leagues. Yeah. Step back in year two. One of them was a bigger step than the other. But. Both of them had to rebuild. Both I, th- I don't know if Rotomasters won year one winners in a rebuild right now, but I know number two is beginning a rebuild right now. Yeah, like I got the first year in Rotomasters won, I got 15th, and the second year I got second. So it can turn around quick. You just have to, you know, use what you have and move pieces around, and it's just... I'd rather just be invested in the young, in the young hitters really is what it ultimately comes down to. Because that's again like I said at the beginning, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants these young hitters. They all want them. They can say that they don't 
They can act like they don't. They can say you love your prospects too much. They want them. They all do. Everybody wants them. And and they may not make sense for every team. Like a guy might want them, but say, ah, you know what? It it just doesn't make sense because I'm going for it this year. But, man, I really love insert, you know, random 19-year-old because they all want them. It's just the way it is. What's your overall feeling of your team now? We've finished your draft. How how good are you feeling about it overall in terms of sticking to the course of what your typical plan is? I feel good about it. I mean, it, it like it's uh, like the Adele injury kind of sucked, and then the um, obviously the Vlad thing, but that's like a short term thing, at least you think. But um, I thought it, there was even one more. I just remember thinking like, oh, that's odd, you know. But, um, no, it's like I said, it's not going to win this year. I'm going to spend probably the majority of the first year just trying to build value on my team, whether that be through trades or pickups or just letting the young players on my team build on what they have already done. But, yeah, I feel good about it overall. I mean, I feel like you're two, three, four, you know, I, I kind of usually shoot for two or three, you're two or three to start getting into that, um, cycle where you're going to be able to contend for a while. So that's kind of my goal here too. But, um, uh, I do have some really young guys, so we'll see. I mean, it's kind of gonna depend on how the first year goes to see how soon it arrives. But yeah, I mean, I've got a ton of young talent. It's just letting it grow and, making move, you know, you got to stay active. The the other, I don't think I mentioned this and I know I mentioned it to you, but you have to stay, when you draft a team like this, you have to stay on top of it. You can't just like sit back and not make moves and not do anything. Like you have to stay on top of it. You have to do that when you have a team that's about, you know, trying to win too. But I just feel like, if you just sit there and you're not active enough, that's going to be a problem. Yep. I think you, the way you said it is not all these prospects are going to come up and be on your roster. A lot of them are going to get moved as you use them as assets as they grow value to get more talent. You can't just sit on prospects and expect them all to hit and be gold. You're going to have to yeah. make moves. Yeah. It's not even about them all hitting. It's just about enough of them hitting, I guess. is, You know, that's why you just load up on them. I didn't put this in the notes, but I remember you saying to me in the last week, because we were talking about how much dynasty leagues are changing and how many more people are going on for the youth. And maybe it's swinging really far the other way to where, didn't you say something like you could, five years from now, you could even see yourself going with a really old team in a dynasty startup? Well, no, I think I even said a couple years. I don't know if I said really old, but I could see myself changing my philosophy a little bit because I think it is, it's just getting really trendy to go young, you know, and load up on prospects or really, really young major league talent. And you don't want to just completely lose sight of winning the league either. I mean, at least at the beginning, especially if, you trust your ability to, to load up on minor leaguers late, which I do. 
then you flip it back to quote unquote a normal draft. You know, you draft to win now and take prospects at the end, which some guys in this draft did, and it's totally fine too. But I think that uh, that strategy angle to it has a lot to do with how how what the other uh, how many guys in your league do it each way. You know, it, it's easy to take all prospects if no one in your league is taking prospects. And then you can get all the best ones, you know, so it makes it a lot easier. But when a lot of people are doing it or more people are doing it, and I feel like more and more and more are doing it each year. There may come a point where I just am like, okay, screw this. I'm going to do it the other way now, you know, so I don't know. I'm not there yet, but I did feel like the prospects and the young guys were pushed really, really hard in this draft. If you saw the draft board or you followed the draft as it went, and I know a lot of the guys in the league would agree with me because we talked about it. There was multiple guys in this league during the draft that said they had never seen a draft like this with this much aggression on young players. Multiple guys said it. Most aggressive I'd seen. All right. Well, we've been going for a while, but we still got my draft to talk about. So yeah. I guess yeah. we should probably get started on that. So you had the third pick. That was your top choice, you said. Yep. And you got Acuna, which, yeah, that's great. He's obviously a stud. Um, yours was a 15 team, right? Yeah. Correct. 15, 15 team, team daily league as compared to all of yours that are weekly. This yeah. Is daily lineups. And it's also OBP instead of batting average and then saves plus holds. Right. And also we, instead of doing wins or quality starts, I did wins plus quality starts. So there's a couple differences than the standard rotisserie format. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine's OBP, but the rest is just standard. Talk to me about this Otani pick round two. Oh, I was so excited. I went, That was one pick that I went into the draft thinking, if Otani's there at the end of the second round and I could see it happening, especially as this draft started and seeing that people seemed to be going with the win-now format, I was noticing that they were taking young major leaguers, but prospects weren't going quick. And a guy like Otani, Otani who is coming off of Tommy John surgery and just going to be used as a bat, he's not going to be quite as valuable to somebody to win this year. Meanwhile, I thought I'm likely going to go with youth here, especially by the time it got to me at the end of the second round, I was pretty confident I was going to go youth because I didn't see the prospects getting pushed up this board. So I knew I probably could be aggressive on getting youth while still getting them at what a, when I was looking at rank um, dynasty rankings by somebody who I trust, I was getting the prospects about where they were ranked, which is great. So I yeah. Otani in a daily dynasty league, he's going to be have value this year, but he's just something special in a daily league because he's going to get you something that you can't get from anybody else. Four categories he can provide you on pitching, and he can provide you another five categories on offense. 
He's the only person that can get you nine categories in a dynasty league. It's hard to even quantify how valuable he is because he's only been up for one year and he didn't pitch all that year. But there is a world where two to three years from now, he's the number one overall player in a dynasty league that has offense or that uses daily transactions. So I'm more than willing to take that chance because personally, I think even if he turns into one or the other, a pitcher or a hitter, I think he's still going to be a really good player. So I'll take the chance that with that upside in the second round. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I totally get that. I, it seemed like a lot of the young guys, they didn't go quite as high in yours as they did in mine. You know, obviously, I love your team. We we were talking during these drafts, so it was kind of like we were kind of helping each other out a little bit. But just to read off, so Eloy round three, 33 overall. That's phenomenal. Wit round four, I know you took him. You were saying you might trade him, right? Yeah. Wit, I took – so we're talking the end of round four. That was yeah, number 58 pick, overall. Fifth, yeah, 58. And the rankings I was looking at in the dynasty rankings, and I'm not – I looked at a dynasty rankings not to make my picks for me, but it was more to give me a range of if I'm looking at somebody and I think it's a – is it a reach and I go look and see exactly how far down he has him? Or if I see somebody that is really sitting out there significantly later than where he's going, where this guy has him ranked, maybe I'll be willing to take him. And that's what I felt about Witt. I saw him go in deals and trades last year for better. And I thought, this is a good value here to take Witt because speed is something that's hard to find. And I think when we talked about him on the Second Base podcast, we mentioned that he provides a skill set that very few other people do. He'll get you home runs, steals, and and a good batting average, or in this case, on-base percentage, to where I just think I can move him and get better than what I paid for him here. Yeah, for context, he went 29 in mine, and he went, you got him at 58. Yeah. So that's that's pretty, that's pretty darn good. But yeah, I mean, it's... Bichette, Hira, Kirilov, I mean, all good. Peter Alonzo. What was your thoughts on Jansen? It was kind of like mine on Chapman, right? Just Yeah. I mean, everything you said about Chapman earlier in the podcast, it's the exact same. Yeah. Exact same as I just said with Merrifield. I just feel like people are was... worried about him because of the chest scares, the health scares. And I think that when he's back pitching like an elite closer – He's either somebody who I can trade and get good value back for, or if I don't see offers good enough, he's still young enough that I think I could hang on to him for a few years and get some real nice production when I do start competing. Man, I'm just looking at this 11 through 18, too, and it's just so nasty. Like, I don't even know how you got all these guys. It's so crazy to me. <laughs> like, just to read them off, and anybody in this league, I how you let Justin get all these – Byron Buxton, round 11, Christian Robinson, round 12, George Valera, round 13, which, by the way, I was pissed <laughs> I didn't get him in mine. Jonathan India, round 14, Victor Victor Mesa, round 15, Jazz Chisholm, round 16, Trevor Larnick, round 17, and Xavier Edwards, round 18. That is just bonkers. Like, to get all those guys 
in those spots in a dynasty league, totally insane. Totally insane. You took five prospects in a row, and, you know, I didn't even realize looking at this until now. I may have realized it during the draft, but I'd forgotten that I took seven prospects in a row. That I mean, the thing is, I realized at, at this point it's really clear that there are a lot of these 15 teams that are going trying to win now, and they're drafting a lot of good players, major league players, but the prospects are falling. And I just started grabbing every bat I could because there were some prospects going. Some people were playing a little in the middle, but a lot of arms were prospects were still going. And I had gone in pretty much deciding I was not going to be targeting prospect arms. The only young arm that I almost took was in round nine, all the way up there. Alex Reyes, he went, he, I got sniped the pick before on him. And that was the only one I was even considering in terms of young prospect arms, which you could kind of call him a major leaguer because he's starting the year in the major leagues and he's pitched right at 49 and a half innings. But yeah, it just bats, bats, bats. Yeah. And like I was saying before, you know, some of those guys, a few of those guys may not work out, but a few of them may be stars. And you're talking about rounds 12 to 18 when if you're drafting major leaguers in those rounds, those guys aren't – you pretty much know they're not stars. Yeah, I, well, I love it. I love it. I mean. The pick before I took Christian Robinson was Brian Dozier and Christian Robinson. And I like Brian Dozier this year. I'm not bagging on the pick at all. Yeah. But two to three years from now, Brian Dozier – likely is going to be out of the league or on his way out. While Christian Robinson, if he just pops a little bit, I mean, he that guy's value should hopefully go up in the next year or two as he's going up, and it could skyrocket. Yeah, like, like another one I just noticed that is like you took Jazz Chisholm, right, and then Corey Dickerson's right there, and it's like – Again, you know, these guys may not all be stars, but, like, if I have Jazz Chisholm, I'm never, ever trading him for Corey Dickerson. Ever. Like, never. So, it's just, because if it is, if if you're trading Jazz Chisholm, it's like you're packaging him for a stud or you're just holding him because he has that potential, you know. It just, so, yeah, pretty much when you line your guys up against these guys next to him, I like it all the way down, pretty much at least through those rounds. And I think it was around 13, right after I had taken Christian Vol- Robinson and George Valera back-to-back with those picks, that somebody in the league said, Justin, in the group chat, you're like doing some next-level trust-the-process stuff here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I got a good laugh on that. That's a line I'll probably remember for a while. There are those that say that you don't even know if a dynasty league is going to be around in a few years, and they're right. That This league could fold in three years. But I picked these people carefully with confidence that this league's going to be around for a while, and I'm going to trust the process that it will. And if it is, I hopefully will be rewarded for it in a few years. Yeah, the other thing is, too, is... 
if you're going into a dynasty league and you don't think it's going to be around in a few years, why are you going into the league? Like, I don't ever go into a dynasty league and think, oh, this is going to fold in two, three years, so I better win right away. Like, it's never entered my mind or else I, I'm just not joining it. So I don't really, uh, I, I just can't get behind that. I can't. I go in under the assumption that it's going to last for, you know, quite a while. I Whatever you want to call quite a while, I don't know, but I don't expect it to fold anytime soon. If If that's in my head, then I'm not gonna be in it that's just me but yeah i like a lot of your picks i know we talked i know i had some influence on the luciano pick and the uh rocio pick later on and freudis nova i know that one too but but yeah i like your team overall i'm not gonna read them all off but i think you did a good job how do you feel about it going into the first year yeah i I'm thrilled with where this roster is. I've feels like ever since this draft ended, a lot of guys who I've taken as post hype guys or just guys I took late, good things are happening to them. Ryan McMahon, I took around 23. That's a guy who has been one of the best players oh, in the yeah. spring and may have just won that job. And yeah. I didn't feel that great taking him at 23 outside of, well, we'll see. But I didn't have this feeling that he was going to be crushing and springing and getting that job. I didn't think he'd get that job. I just thought, well, I'll just see how long I can hang on to him and see if he ever does hit. Bradley Zimmer's coming back from the injury, and I like him a lot with OBP and the fact that it sounds like he's his recovery's going real well, so I feel real good about that one. Jung Ho Kong. Oh, I yeah. took him in round 44, and now it sounds like he's got the starting job there to where if he can and get back to where he was at before he left the States and with his legal problems, maybe that that's one that could work out. And then Didi Gregorius was another one at round 21 who I thought fell just too far. And that's a guy who's 28 who, when he returns, he's going to have value once he's back from that injury to where I was thrilled to get him there because I think if he's not injured, he's probably going something like the 7th, 8th, ninth round. And I got him around 21. And once he's back, I think he goes right back to having that kind of value shortly after. And the last guy I wanted to bring up that I really liked was Trevor Rosenthal. I've talked about him. I In a saves plus holds, I really like getting that guy in terms of a guy who could be a closer, but in saves plus holds, it doesn't matter. I just love the ratios he provides. But overall, I'm just thrilled with this team. It may take me a bit to get where I want to be at, but I've got a lot of talent. And I did trust the process, just like he was saying. My goal going in was to not worry about positions, just draft talent and trust my ability to make trades. And even as I took guys like Whit Merrifield and Kenley Jansen, that was my thought process. I'm just going to trust myself and my ability to hold out and get value for those guys whenever I put them on the block. It's the same with Didi Gregorius. Yeah. I liked your draft. I thought you did good. I think we overall have pretty similar strategies. We were talking about uh, before we did this, how we kind of wished we had one, one of us had gone all in for the first year and one of us had done the opposite. So we would 
have like a little more diverse uh, strategies to talk about, but it, we're kind of along the same lines as far as it goes. But it doesn't mean that anybody out there that disagrees with the strategy and wants to do it a different way, it doesn't mean that they're wrong at all. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's our podcast and they weren't yeah. different. Yeah. Nope, they're wrong. I'm I'm joking for the record. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we just went probably about two hours of talking about news and dynasty or really close to it or maybe even over it by the time I finish editing this thing. So I think we need to get out of here sooner, Andrew. Yep. Sounds uh sounds good. Right. But Prediction. before I get out What's that? Uh, I was just going to say predictions podcast next. We got a long thread. Yes, um, we did post on the base face the baseball three sixty five Facebook to give us some predictions, and we're going to do a pr- prediction podcast sometime beginning of next week, and have that out to you guys early next week. Hoping to have it out a day or two before the season starts to give you something to listen to right before the season starts. And outside of that. We're also next week going to be doing a drawing for a Baseball 365 t-shirt. If you could go write us a review on iTunes between now and opening day, we'll get your name on that list and we'll do a drawing on that day. Andrew, any final words before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. Just uh, less than a week here. So little tease with those two games, but... And for those of you who stuck with us through all of that long podcast, well, we appreciate you. Take care, everybody. Yep, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 